I wish that I was talented enough to show you how much poetry is in this passage. Sometimes you just, either you get it or you don't, and, and you can't really explain it. And thankfully, I have, I have um, some resources that have helped me see it because I wouldn't have seen it on my own. But this is a very poetic, a very beautiful passage, and I hope that maybe I can just give you a little snippet of that this morning as we're reading it. Hebrews chapter 2, stand with me, and we'll read verses 1 through 4 together. This is the Word of God. If you let it, it will change your life. Therefore, we must pay closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape? If we neglect so great a salvation, it was declared at first by the Lord and it was attested to us by those who heard while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. Pray with me. Father, this morning may we hear the testimony of your son. And I should say testimonies because there are so many. Guide our hearts in this time. In Christ's name we pray, amen. You may be seated. There are many witnesses that testify to Christ. It would be one thing if all we had to go on was just hearsay. If you go into a court of law today and uh, a lawyer is trying to get the jury or just the judge to accept some evidence from someone who wasn't there, who didn't see it, who didn't hear it firsthand, but who heard it from someone else. The opposing lawyer would stand up and say, objection, it's hearsay. To have hearsay, just to have what someone else says happen, but somebody else is telling you, that's not admissible in a court of law. If you want witness testimony that can be accepted in a court, it has to be firsthand. It's got to be eyewitness testimony. It's got to be someone who saw it happen, someone who heard it with their own ears, someone who watched it with their own eyes, someone who was there at the time when it was going on. We do not have a Christianity based on hearsay. Now, you might think we do, because we're kind of telling what, what our mom and dad or Sunday school teachers or pastors or somebody else told us, and then somebody else told them and somebody else told them, and it would seem to be hearsay. But we actually have eyewitness testimony to the person of Christ. And so this morning, I want us to take a look at the witnesses that testify to Christ. In fact, throughout this passage, one of the things that the author does, he does several things, but one of the things he does is he incorporates some legal language into this. I'll kind of point it out as we go along. But first, the first witness to take the stand to testify to who Christ is are the angels themselves. Last week we talked about the fact that Christ is exalted above the angels. I mean, who does God say is His Son? Not the angels. He doesn't say that to them. Who does He say... Uh, sit in my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. He doesn't say that to angels. He says that to Christ. And so we saw that Jesus Christ is exalted above the angels. 
That the angels are God's ministers. They are, they are servants of God. And they even serve on our behalf. But ultimately, they serve at His will for His purposes. But Christ isn't just a servant. Christ is the Son of God. And so He has a name that's exalted above their name. Jesus is exalted above the angels. And one of the ways we know this is true is because the angels are taking the stand to testify about Him. Look in the beginning of chapter 2, verse 2. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable. There's our first legal word, reliable. This is a word that doesn't directly indicate legally admissible evidence, but it hints at it. It winks. It, it, it kind of pokes you on the side and says, eh, it's reliable. You can trust it. Just like the type of testimony you should find in a court of law. The kind of testimony that you can bank on. In a couple of chapters, he's going to talk about Christ as being the anchor for our soul. It's this kind of word right here, reliable. That's that image. It's the image of an anchor holding sure in the rock. Now, you get on a boat and you get in the middle of some wavy seas, some choppy seas. Maybe it's a storm. Maybe it's not a storm. Maybe it's just some rough seas. You get on a boat and if that boat isn't anchored down, what happens to it? It drifts. It slowly starts to get away from where it needs to be. You, get, you don't even need big waves. You go fishing. You get a boat. And you don't tie it to the dock. And you just sit there and watch it. And it won't take long, but it'll start moving away from the dock. And pretty soon, if you don't get out there and get it, you don't have a boat anymore. This message, declared by angels, is sure. It's moored to the dock. It's anchored in. It ain't going anywhere. It is reliable. It is trustworthy. It is something you can take to the bank. And what exactly is that message? It's Christ. You see, Jews, it doesn't specifically say this in the Bible, but it was a common belief among Jews that when God gave the law to Moses, that angels were there in the presence of God, and therefore they were there at the giving of the law. And not only are they there, but that God used the angels to deliver the law to Moses. And so for these Hebrew hearers, when they're thinking of the message declared by angels, they're thinking of God's laws. They're thinking of the things that God has specifically given to his people. Directions for how they live. Words of hope that teach them about a coming Messiah. So we have these messages that, that are delivered by angels from God's mouth. We see the angels delivering messages to certain people throughout the scripture. We talked about that last week, and they're reliable. Not because of the angel, but because of whose message they're delivering. We can, we can count on the testimony of angels. That's not the only testimony. That's not the only witness that we have. You know what else we have that's a witness? It's something that you might not have thought of originally. When you think of witnesses to God, you're going to think of people like apostles or angels, or you're going to think of various other things. Maybe you'll think of miraculous works and things. We'll talk about those in just a little while. But you might not expect that God's judgments are faithful witnesses of Christ too. God's judgments? 
Wait, how? How? Wait a minute. I thought we're in a court. (laughs) The judgment comes after the testimony, right? Well, in this case, the judgment is part of the testimony. Look, look at the end of verse 2. And every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution. There's another legal word, retribution. You know what that is, right? Well, if it's good, it's a reward. But if it's bad, then it's a punishment. You get, you go to court. Somebody has wronged you. And I don't mean wronged in the uh, trial lawyer sense that you see on the sign that now you're going to go after them and get big bucks. I mean actually physically done you harm. And you're just trying, you're trying to recoup the loss that you've incurred because of that person's actions. Okay? So you, so you sue them in a court of law. And your, your case that comes before the judge, the judge agrees with you that you have a proper case and that there's no adequate defense of it and therefore you should get the benefit of that payout. They should have to pay those medical bills that you incurred because they caused a wreck or, or that whatever the case may happen to be. We, that would be a retribution. That would be a judgment, a settlement in, or a judgment, excuse me, in your favor, right? That would be a good thing. Now, if you're the defendant and you're accused and the judge says you're guilty, then you have a retribution as well, but that's a bad retribution. This word could be positive or negative, but in this case, it's negative because what is getting the retribution? Transgressions, disobedience. The things that we are doing that are wrong testify to the fact of who Christ is. They testify to the fact that God is a just God. Notice the retribution isn't unjust, it's just. It's deserved. The wages of sin is death, and wages are what you earn. So even in God's judgments, they testify to the person of Jesus Christ because they show us who he is. Jesus is not an unjust judge who puts on penalties way beyond what should be. He's not an unjust judge that takes a bribe and therefore gives a judgment that is wrong. He's not an unjust judge in that he lets the guilty go off scot-free with no punishment whatsoever. He is a just judge and his judgments show just how just he is. We have the testimony of angels. We have the testimony of his own judgments. And both of us point us to who Christ is. But there's a third witness. Cases sometimes have a star witness. A witness whose testimony seals the deal. A witness who is beyond that that no one could possibly refute what they're going to say. Jesus has a star witness. It's God himself. It's one thing to hear from someone who watched it happen. It's one thing to hear from someone who heard about it, that, that, that was hearing the noises. It's a whole nother thing to talk straight to the one responsible himself. God himself testifies to the, to the nature of his son. God himself takes the stand and tells us about Christ. Verses three and four. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? We'll get back to that. It was declared, that's another legal word, by the way. It comes from the word testify. 
In fact, we get our word martyr from the root of that word. It was declared at first by the Lord and it was attested. That's another related word that gives the same idea. It was attested to us by those who heard. While God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. We have so many ways that God testifies. He doesn't just testify by just saying, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased, though he does that when Jesus is baptized, right? He doesn't just say, my son is coming to the world. He doesn't just tell us, all right, this is it. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. We have John the Baptist saying those words. He doesn't just say it that way. He says it many different ways. One of the ways he does it is by saying it. He actually declares it. He says it out loud. He doesn't just leave it for us to find. He doesn't inscribe it on a stone and maybe one day somebody will run across that stone. No, he just outright tells us. Verse three, look at the second part of verse three. It was declared at first by the Lord. So God says it first and it was attested to us by those who heard. Not only does God say it, but then those who find out it's true also say it. You've had it attested to you, haven't you? There's been someone that has stood before you or sat down with you or called you or spoke with you and said, let me, let, let me show you who God is. Let me tell you about Jesus. Now, some, some of us had that knee high to a grasshopper. Some of us were hearing about Jesus Christ in our mother's womb. It was all muffled and we couldn't really hear very well, but you know. We were, we were in church when mama was pregnant. She was in church with us in her belly until we were born. And some of us, and some people, I, I know people that bragged that they were born and then a couple days later they were in church on Sunday morning. Like that's how early they were involved in church. And I, I'm, I'm thinking nowadays, good, <laughs> that's great. You probably weren't getting much out of it for those first few months. You were probably distracting more than anything else, but it's okay. Some of us didn't grow up like that. Some of us grew up at homes where we may have been to church every now and then. Maybe you were a CEO. Maybe your family were CEOs, Christmas and Easter onlys. Very rarely in church. Maybe you were only there a couple of times. I grew up in a family where we went to church less than 10 times before I was old enough to drive a car. Maybe that was your background. Maybe you never were in church. Maybe you were in church some, not all the time, but you were there frequently. Maybe... I don't know, different things for, for different, each of us have different stories about how we grew up. But somewhere along the way, someone told you about Jesus. And when you heard about Jesus, maybe it was the first time, maybe it was the 15th time, maybe it was the 500th time, I don't know. But at some point, something began to click. And you realize this wasn't just a fairy tale. That was God speaking to you. God taking his word and delivering it directly into your soul. And then what you had heard so many times before, maybe, or maybe not, maybe it's the first time you heard, finally it stuck. You believed. It was declared by God and it was attested by those who heard. God himself testifying to Christ. But you know, that's not the only way that God testifies to his son. That's a great way. That's a, it's a necessary way. How, how can they believe the one whom, of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear unless one preached to them? They need to hear it. We need to hear this testimony about Christ. But God shows us in other ways too. 
Second thing, he demonstrates miracles by Christ. I said we would talk about those miracles a little while later. Here's where we're talking about them. Not only does he say the words out loud, but he shows us. I used to have a teacher, uh, I was in an English class, a writing class, creative writing. And my teacher would say, show, don't tell. And what she meant is, you can just say that it happened. That's not creative writing though. But if you could show it, you write pictures, uh, language, uh, use, use the words in such a way that, you, that the person can imagine the story, that it becomes so much more powerful. That's good writing, right? Well, God also shows us. He doesn't just tell us. He shows us. And he does so by miracles. While God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles. There's three words used here. And they all kind of overlap. They all kind of give the same sort of meaning. In fact, you can find this meaning. If you look back in Exodus, you can see how this these words are used. In Exodus, I believe it's... Uh, da, 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 where is it? Where is it? Where is it? Exodus... This is what I get for not putting it there. There we go. In Exodus 7, God says, But I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and though I, mul- and, and though I multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, and then he goes on to keep saying that, that he, he'll refuse, but I am going to do mighty works, and I am going to redeem my people out. Pharaoh will not listen to you, he says to Moses in chapter 11 that my wonders may be multiplied in the land of Egypt. We have signs, we have wonders, we have powerful works, mighty actions of God. And and these signs and wonders and various miracles, it points back to that Exodus story. And he says, do you remember when I was bringing my people out of Egypt and I was doing all kinds of terrific signs and, and wonders and miracles and works that were just powerful? In fact, various miracles, it, it... the, the language is actually uh, varied, powerful deeds, if you translate it directly. Everything God is doing, when God interjects himself into the affairs of men and he does things that only he can do, only God can do signs, only God can do wonders, only God can do miracles, only God can do mighty works of power like these. When he does those things, it points us directly to his son, Jesus Christ. In the Old Testament and Exodus, and the New Testament through the ministry of Christ. And in all these things, it points us to Jesus. All these things are demonstrations that lead us right to Christ. Daryl said some before, we don't talk enough about the Holy Spirit. Well, here you go. Because the next thing he does, he distributes the Holy Spirit through Christ. Not only does he tell us about Christ, not only does he show us about Christ, but he gives us the Holy Spirit. I say distributes because there's not really a, I I can't think of a better word to describe what God does with his Holy Spirit. I mean, how else can you describe the actions of God with his Holy Spirit but distribute Now, he doesn't divide it up and he says, you get this slice. It's not like a cake. You get this slice, you get this slice. We get all the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit gets all of us. By the way, it's a good time to ask, does the Holy Spirit have all of you? Or are you just giving him leftovers? Pieces that you don't want to deal with. The stuff that's hard and the stuff that that is uncomfortable. 
Or do you give him everything? God distributes the Holy Spirit. He bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. Do you notice that? He gives gifts. But you know what the real gift is? His Spirit himself. And what, and what do those do? What does this giving of gifts, this giving of the Holy Spirit do? It bears witness. Bears witness to what? It bears witness to Christ. To the salvation that He brings through Christ. And He does it on purpose. It's not haphazard. It's not accidental. It's not, oops, I spilt a jar of Holy Spirit all over the earth. My bad. Let me go get a mop and clean this up. No, He meant to. He does it on purpose. And when you think, well... You know, I, I, just, I just don't feel like God's really done giving me any kind of gift. I, I just, I, or, you know, I have a gift, but I'm not really sure how to use it. And so I just kind of feel uncomfortable with it. I wish he'd give me something else. Or man, you know, I really wish, you know, dear sweet Miss Mary, I wish, I wish he had given me the gift he gave Miss Mary. No, he gave you the gift he gave you on purpose. He wanted it. And sometimes you might think that was a mistake. Sometimes you might think uh, uh, he, he missed the right person and hit you instead with that gift. No, he didn't. What he does in you, he means to do. So in light of these witnesses, we have the witness of the angels. We have the witness of God's judgments. We have the witnesses of God himself through through uh, uh, these various ways, the words that he has declared, through the demonstrations of miracles and through the distribution of his Holy Spirit, all of these things testifying to Christ. The author of Hebrews recognizes that now we're put on the spot. I don't know who they're calling, but somebody's calling the church. Now we're on the spot. We, we've got to, well, look back at the beginning of verse three. I said we'd come back to it. Here we are. How shall we escape? if we neglect such a great salvation. What hope is there for us if even knowing all that we know about Christ, after hearing God's message spoken, seeing it actively demonstrated through miracles and through the Holy Spirit in us, in the lives of others, if after all that we still reject Christ, what hope do we have? How are we going to escape if we neglect such a great salvation. We're doomed. It brings us right back to the beginning of this passage. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away. We have to take heed. We've heard the testimony from all these witnesses. And what if we don't? Then we're doomed. So we must take heed. The language here is the language of absolute necessity. When he says we must pay much closer attention, I, 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 wish, I wish that these biblical authors had a stronger way to put it. You might say that it is absolutely necessary that we pay the most careful attention to what we've heard. We need to take heed so that we don't drift away. Because like a boat not tied to the dock, will drift. One of the beautiful things about communion is that it moors us to the dock. It keeps us close to Christ, not in the sense of just taking it makes us close to Christ, 
Just because you drink this little cup of juice and just because you eat this wafer does not make you holier or better, but it reminds us of who it is that we are here for. And just like the angels, just like the judgments of God, just like God himself through all the various ways that he does, we too are witnesses of Christ. Pay close attention to what you've heard. Stick close to it. Heed the testimony of those witnesses and be one of those witnesses that testifies yourself. Pray with me. Father, this morning, as we prepare to take communion, I pray that you would move in our hearts. I pray that you would expose the sin in our lives and that you would deal with that sin. I pray that all the things that that we do and say and think, that we would bring into subjection to your rule. I pray that we would be good witnesses. Father, help us in this time. Be among us. Dwell among us. Not just in us. You've already promised to do that. When we are saved, you give us your Holy Spirit. But Father, we don't want your presence just in us. We want your presence among us. We want to be in your presence continually, doing your will, following your commands, growing in your likeness. So Father, use this time to shape us and mold us for you as we prepare for communion, I pray that our hearts would be ready to receive and you be glorified in this time. In Christ's name, we pray these things. Amen.